Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. It's a good day. It's a good day. We're launching into a new series today. And I've been thinking about this series for about six months. And last year, and what this series came out of was last year, I almost spent the the totality of my year in personal devotion in the Gospels. I would read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the first four books of the New Testament. And I would get done with John, then I would be like, Lord, where do you want me to go? And... I didn't really feel anything, and, and, and so I just started over. I just figured, you know, these books are the books that talk the most about Jesus, like in, in, in a narrative form, and I like narratives, and, and so I just started over. And then I started, I read them again, and then I was like, Lord, where, where do you want me to go? And I felt like he's like, I, I didn't tell you to go anywhere. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to start over. <laughs> I just kept, I kept reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and out of that, out of that discourse and communication with the Lord, you know, I would pray, and then he would speak to me through the Gospels, and um, I started noticing some stuff, and it's kind of interesting, when, when you read large portions of Scripture or you read narratives, and um, the Gospels... The first three are very similar. They're called the Synoptic Gospels. And so there's a lot of overlap between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then John is kind of the wild card. He, he, he throws in things that, that the others don't throw in. And it's, it, it's a beautiful compliment. It's because of John's Gospel, we know that Jesus' ministry was three and a half years instead of two and a half years. But it started making me look at this lake. Um, the lake of Gisinerat commonly known as the Sea of Galilee. And what happened on the lake? What happened on the Sea of Galilee? What, can you guys name anything that Jesus did on the Sea of Galilee? Just, he walked on it? Okay, what else? He taught from it? What else? Okay. He calmed the storms on it? He tried to sleep. Well, he, he did, and his disciples woke him up. Yeah, yeah. He took some naps on a boat on it, and and with, with that said, there was a lot of lessons that Jesus taught. Because when he was on the lake, guess who was not on the lake? The multitudes, right? The other people, the 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 large quantities of people. When he was on the lake, it was him. And his disciples, his close followers. And on that lake, away from the multitudes, he had some really deep conversations. He had some really things that he didn't necessarily teach the multitudes. He wanted his disciples to learn these lessons. And I started noticing this. And so out of this, I started thinking, this would be a good sermon series This would be a great sermon series to look at what Jesus taught his disciples when no one was around. And guess what? We're all his disciples if you've confessed Christ 
And these lessons are still there for us. And I got to be honest, as I read these stories, it may, like, have you guys ever wanted to sit down and be a part of those stories? Like, grant you, we can read it in the scriptures, but like to have a face-to-face conversation and to see those things, that would have been amazing. And what I hope will happen through this series is that our eyes will be opened to the lessons that Jesus wanted to teach his disciples and that we can apply them to our lives today because those lessons still apply. So we're in this series, week one of a series called Lessons on the Lake. And um, I'm so glad that the Greeks called the Sea of Galilee the Lake of Jacinarat because lessons on the sea do not does not sound as good. But we're going to be looking at a section of scripture. This is a following the first time Jesus actually taught from the lake. And what ironically is Luke chapter 5 and we're actually not going to look at what he taught to the crowd because he was ta- teaching to the multitudes. And so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Oh, it got dark on me. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. That's a pun Luke threw in there. Just FYI, listen to the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. And every word that came out of his mouth was the word of God. So he's like, listen to the word of God. Just, I notice puns because I'm a dad. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. So if I call Simon Peter, Simon and Peter are the same person. I just want you to understand that. Just right out the gate, if I, if I slip up because he's not Peter yet, just go, go with me. Simon and Peter are the same person, Simon and Peter. So stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, his owner, to push. Okay, let's keep going. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with water, or that that would be a bad thing, were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon realized what had happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinner to be around. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught. 
as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And soon as they, as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. So, how many of you guys have ever heard this story before? Guys, I want to I wanna talk to you. I've, I've preached on this section of scripture before. But there's, there's a lesson here that even the gospel here doesn't really talk about what Jesus taught to the crowd. But it focuses on this interaction between Simon and Jesus. And I, I just have a couple thoughts for you today. And um, the first thought I want to give you that I want us to chew on this week, because I think some of us can relate to this. God will allow us to have what we think we want to show us what we really need. I know that's a really long thought and a lot to chew on, so I'm going to read it again. God will allow us to have what we think we want to show us what we really need. God helps us discern between what we think we want and what we really need. Peter, Simon, he's a fisherman. I want you to see what's happening here. He fished all night. And so a fisherman that fishes all night and catches nothing is a fisherman that does not get paid for a day. This is how he makes a living. This is how he goes through life. This is how he takes care of his family this is his livelihood. So naturally, a fisherman would want to catch fish. A fisherman would want to catch fish. So when Jesus made this catch for Simon, through Simon... Because at the end of the day, I think Jesus was doing a, f a few things. He was showing Simon that he's the greatest fisherman. Because Jesus didn't even have to touch a net to catch all those fish. Because he did it through him. And quite frankly, this was a precursor to what Jesus is calling Simon to do. He says, follow me, fisherman, and I'll make you a fisher of men. And throughout the rest of Simon's life, Jesus caught people. Through Simon. Great numbers of people through Simon. But the thing is here, this miracle isn't about the fish. This miracle is never about the fish because Simon really, he didn't need a catch. Simon needed to be caught. I, I want you to get this. Simon didn't need a catch. Simon needed to be caught by Jesus. And, and, to, and to hammer this home, this is actually not the first time he actually met Jesus. Like sometimes we think that this is the first time, but if you go, and, uh, and this is why I love the Gospels, and, and you read them, it's kind of like a four-layer cake. A single-layer cake is amazing. A two-layer cake is even better. A three-layer cake is 
is practically heaven on earth. And then you take it, go to a fourth layer of cake. Come on. And one gospel is like a single layer cake. You add another, that's like the second layer. You add the third, it's like, mmm. You add the fourth, dude. And that's what the gospels do when you read them together and look at these narratives together. They add something. They add, they add that extra layer. They add that extra little nuance that you might not get from reading one perspective. So in John's perspective, there is this section of scripture, and it's, it's found in John chapter 1, 35 through 42. And I'm going to read it real quick. And it says, the following day, John, this is John the Baptist, was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. They jumped ship. Jesus looked around and saw them following, and he said, What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi. Suddenly, I want you to understand what they just did. They're like, John's no longer our teacher. You're our teacher. Like, we want to submit to you. That, that's what they did. And then they said, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come and see. He invited them. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew... Simon Peter's brother was one of these men who heard John's, what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon... I love this. Only Jesus can do this. Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Imagine meeting someone for the first time. Your name is Nathan, but you will be called Andrew. I mean, like, that, that's literally what Jesus did, like, uh, he didn't change his name right then and there, but I want you to understand what just happened. Jesus met Simon. Simon did not follow Jesus on their first meeting, but what did Jesus do? He spoke an identity. He spoke a purpose. He spoke something into Simon. Simon did not think that about himself. Simon was, he probably thought, the Messiah I'm not worthy to follow him. I'm not worthy to be in his presence. I'm not like my brother John, who's been subject to the teachings of John the ba or my brother Andrew, who's been who's been under John the Baptist. I'm I'm not a student. I'm a fisherman. And so we don't know how much time went by. Could have been a week. Could have been a day. Could have been a month. And. We see Jesus walking along the shore, and there's a great crowd following him, and he sees two boats. And, and I am a firm believer there is no such thing as coincidence in the kingdom of God. 
There's no such thing because God... I, I, I have a slide. I, I want you to throw it up because I don't want to butcher the saying, but I want you to think about this. God is so intentional with our life that he will purposely work his will within our will without violating our free will. Like, what did he just say? What, that, I'm trying to work that out in my head. There's numbers and it's just it's floating around. I'm going to read it again. God is so intentional with our life that he will purposely work his will within our will without violating our free will. God's walking along the shore of the Lake of Jacinerat, sees two boats, one being Simon's, who he already met and he already spoke purpose over, and he jumps in to Simon's boat. Coincidence? I think not. Maybe, just maybe, God was being so intentional with the life of Simon that he planted a seed. He spoke purpose over him already. He spoke life over him already. But Simon wasn't ready. But today was that day. Today was that day. So the miracle, the catch, is, is not about a fisherman catching fish, but about God being a fisher of men. Because God will sometimes give us what we want to show us what we need. God will sometimes give us what we want to show us what we need. Have you ever, guys, really wanted something, and you're like, oh, I want that so bad, and when you finally get it, it doesn't live up to your expectations? It's like a Ford truck. Oh, oh, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm sorry. I had to throw it out there. But you ever, you ever get, that was for you, Randy. I'm sorry. But where we take and we want something so bad and we crave it and we, and we fix our thoughts on it. We can't focus on anything else. It, like, <laughs> During those times, I remember as a kid, I just would want something and kind of like I would ignore everything else in my life. I, I couldn't talk about anything else. I didn't want anything else. And like, and when I got it, I thought, I, I guess I expected more. And, and and Simon, being a fisherman, has a catch of a lifetime. To the point it fills his boat to sinking and fills another boat to sinking. Breaks his nets. This is a type of, of, of catch that could have launched a, 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 not just. He, he could have bought another boat and like, you know what, what I'm saying? Like he could have had a fleet. Like this is something that could have set him up. This is what every fisherman dreams of. And yet, it revealed something to Simon. I don't need this. Some of us are chasing things that we really want that won't do a single thing for us. That won't do a single thing for our life. 
And God is such a big fan of free will that he will allow you to chase it, to go after it. He will not violate your free will, but in your pursuit, he will even allow you to sometimes catch what you want. Only for you to find out it's not what you need. And I think it would be such a shame for us to waste time and money and energy chasing something that we want for something that we need. Jesus allowed Simon to experience what he wanted and has worked his whole life for so Simon can see what he really needs. This is a pattern. This is a pattern with Simon Peter. This is not the first time he did this because not only did Jesus took and broke the nets when he called Simon. The catch was so big that his nets broke. And then you fast forward three and a half years. Jesus is crucified, raised from the dead. He shows up in the middle of a locked room and lets his disciples see his hands and his side. He lets his disciples, he shows them that he's alive. He shares a meal with them in Jerusalem. Then he tells them, go meet me in Galilee. Go north. I'm going to meet you up there. And so Simon, seeing the resurrected Christ, hearing about this, okay, seeing the empty tomb, he goes up north. And then what does he do? He says, I'm going to go fishing. Why does he do this? And I, 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 we could judge Simon all we want, but I think we do the same thing sometimes because when things don't go the way we think they will go, we revert to the things that bring us comfort. We revert to things that we think we want. And so, like, Jesus was not the Messiah they thought that he would be. They wanted Jesus to be a conquering king, to lead an army, to liberate Israel. And, and Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not like what you're expecting. And so when Jesus goes to the cross and dies for our sins, they're, they're not quite understanding. And he has to show up and explain the law and the prophets to them. And, and their eyes are starting to be revealed and open to what God really intended. Because God's kingdom is not one of this world. It's bigger. It's greater. It's a kingdom of our hearts. And no border. that no law. Nothing on this earth can stop the kingdom of God. Because God knew 2,000 years later there will be countries that will not allow the gospel to go forth legally. But God's law supersedes all law, and so we have brave people that go into these countries and Christians that are willing to risk their necks to share the gospel because the gospel is a kingdom of the heart. And the disciples, though, thought the kingdom of God was going to be different. And so Simon, dealing with disappointment, Simon, trying to process everything that Jesus just taught post-resurrection, says, I'm going to go back to what I know. I'm going to go fishing. Even though three and a half years before this, Jesus broke that. Jesus broke that. Jesus helped him see, like, this is not what you need. And so what happens? This is in John chapter 21. 
They fish all night, and they don't catch a single thing. And Jesus shows up walking along the seashore. Sound familiar? And he asks them, you guys have any fish? <laughs> Knowing that they didn't. And, and they said, no. He said, how about you drop your nets on the other side of the boat? On the right side. I guess they've been dropping it on the left side or the wrong side. I don't know. He says, drop it on the right side. I, I just, I love, I love that because I, I wonder if all of them were just rolling their eyes in the boat. Like, seriously? Drop my nets on the right side of the boat? Please. Like, we haven't done that all night. Andrew's like, we, we haven't done that all night, Peter. Oh, so... Then they do it, and they have such a catch, 153 fish, and it's not just 153 fish. We're not talking minnows. It says 153 large fish in this net, and then John goes, that's a Messiah, and Peter throws his shirt on and jumps into the water, and they're about 100 yards from shore, and he books it to Jesus. He books it to Jesus, falls at his feet, and Jesus says, bring me the fish. So he runs back in the water, he grabs the net, pulls him up on shore, and the Jesus asks him three questions. Because if you remember, Jesus, Peter denied even knowing Jesus three times. But I used to think that he asked this question, do you love me more than these? I used to think that Jesus, they're sitting in a circle. This is how I imagined it. They're sitting in a circle, and he's looking at Peter, and all the disciples are around. And he's like, hey, do you love me more than these other yahoos? <laughs> I've always thought he was talking about the other disciples. But when reading the call of Peter and seeing his proclivity, and what Jesus, Jesus called him out of being a fisherman to being a fisher of men. And then when things didn't go easy, when things didn't go expected, he reverted to what he knew. He reverted to his comfort. He did, and, and, and Jesus, he's asking something to say, you know this is not going to bring what you think. Because this is what you want, but this is not what you need. I, I need you to remember this, Peter. Because this will not fulfill the call of God on your life, Peter. I need you to know. So do you love me more than these? As Peter's dragging this net up of 153, and it says the net did not break, specifically in John 21. Luke 5, it says the net broke. John 21, it says the net did not break. And it's almost like Jesus was saying, listen, I didn't break your net this time. If you want to choose something lesser, you can go back to it, because I won't violate your free will. But I need you to understand that there is a sacrifice for choosing what you want. It's right here. There's a good catch. Maybe you could buy a boat with, the, with, with that 153. But I'm telling you, do you love me? I'm, I want you to know. And Peter says, yes, you know I love you. And then he asked him again. And he asked him again. And, and there's something that finally happened, I think, at this moment in Peter's life. That he, he, he finally realized what Jesus was trying to get at. Is Jesus wants 
and God wants our needs and our wants to align. And that's a powerful intersection when what we want is what we need. I want you to get this. Peter finally realized, what I want is Jesus. I love Jesus more than these. And what I need is Jesus. What I want is Jesus and what I need is Jesus. Some of us are, I want this, but I need Jesus. And you have this struggle in your spirit and in your heart because you're chasing after things that you want and God is trying to help you see what you need. And, and the more you step into walking in what, what God, God has for you, the more you realize what you need and what you want are the same thing. It's Jesus. The more you fall in love with Jesus, Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, he's fallen in love with Jesus. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Peter, do you love me? Like, when we fall in love with Jesus, what we want and what we need, be, they, they align. And we realize what Peter realized in John 21. I need Jesus. And I want Jesus. I need Jesus. And I want Jesus. But maybe if you're not there tonight, I'm telling you, or this morning... I'm telling you, God is so faithful and good that God will allow you to sometimes get what you want, to experience what you want, only for you to know and discover it's not what you need. That's how much God loves you. That's what he did with Peter when he called him in Luke chapter 5. Catch of a lifetime. And what did it do to Peter when, when he had this occurrence in his mind, this is not what I need. This is not what I need. Like It was just like, this light bulb went off. Because he already met Jesus. Jesus already said, you will be called Peter. And then right after, right after he reaffirms Peter, he turns around and says this about Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. He puts his identity on Peter. The first meeting, and three and a half years later, it took three and a half years for Peter to walk into that identity. So what did Peter do, though, when he realized, that's what I've wanted my whole life, a catch like this? It's one of those fishing stories. It's like the one-armed man that said, I once caught a fish this big. Oh, that's sad. (laughs) Such a dad joke. But it's one of those fishing stories. Like, he could tell his grandchildren about this story. And I, I would have loved to sit down and heard Peter's telling. It's like, Jesus gave me everything I ever wanted for me to realize I, I didn't need it. And then he turned around and showed me what I really wanted and what I really needed. That would have been, that would have been one of those stories. But Peter did something. He fell at Jesus' feet. So many people want things out of Jesus' hands, but the people that are transformed fall at Jesus' feet. The people that get Jesus' attention fall at his feet. And so my second thought for you real quick, we're going to go through this. God won't fix what we won't face. God won't fix what we won't face. 
Repentance starts with a recognition where we missed the mark. In the New Testament, that's what sin means. It means missed the mark. And Peter falls at Jesus' feet realizing something. I'm a sinful man. (laughs) Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. So Peter, Peter experienced something that we will all experience in close proximity to Jesus. The Bible says God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And what does light do? What does light do? It reveals things. And I I did this experiment, and I'm kind of irritated that I forgot my flashlight. But what I noticed was if I took and pulled my finger away from my flashlight and shined the light at my finger, it created a shadow. It did. It created a shadow on the wall. But when I brought my finger closer to the the flashlight, that light was so bright. It's a tactical flashlight that it's almost like it didn't even notice my finger. It just like, it was like on the wall, it, it, was, it was so bright that it just, it, it was almost like the light wrapped around my finger and there was no shadow anymore. And when we get in close proximity to the light of God, he starts revealing things in our life. Peter realized something when he saw what Jesus did in the boat. He got in close proximity to Jesus, and he started realizing, I am a sinner. I, I need to confess, because I truly believe you cannot encounter God and not be changed by that encounter. When you encounter God in all of his glory, when you get close to light, it reveals darkness. But Peter did something that we do too. As we're pursuing God, it's, it's, it's our human reasoning, and, and it's the opposite of what we actually should do. But what happens is we get close to God, and we start realizing every area of our life that we need to repent of. And suddenly we feel like, I can't be close to God anymore. I need, I need, to, I need to stay away from me, God. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Uh, uh, God, get away from me. And and we almost think like Peter, like our sin's going to rub off on God. Right? And the whole time God is saying, I'm here to wipe that sin away. It's so interesting. The other day, um, Peyton, my son, had his two front teeth pulled. And um, just because of an accident, he's a wrecking ball and it finally broke (laughs) And and he had like when he got home from the dentist, he was as high as a kite, and it was so funny. But so we gave him ice cream right out the gate. I think that's a it's a whole Ponzi scheme. Like give your kids ice cream. The dentist is telling like all these sugary stuff. They they just want returning customers. That's. But he was eating ice cream and he was just out of it. And I I tried to help. He's like, no, I, I got it. Look at Green Goblin. You know, like he's watching Spider-Man, and, and he was covered in chocolate. 
just his whole face. It was so cute. He was just out of it, and his whole face was just covered. I'm like, he had a better beard than I do. And, and I was like, bud, I got to wipe your face off. Come here. And he would not come to me. I'm like, bud, you have chocolate all over your face. And he got up, and he staggered over. I'm like, dude, stop walking. You're dizzy. And he went and looked in the mirror. He's like, dad, I got chocolate on my face. You know, like, I'm like, I know. I know. You're a mess. And you got noodles all over. Like you, you have food all over you. And come here. Let me wipe it off. Let, let, me, let me wipe you off. No. Like the more I helped him realize what's going on, the more he wanted to pull away. And all I was trying to do was help. And Peter, Peter here in this narrative, he's saying, get away from me, Jesus. I don't want my sin to get on you. And Jesus is saying, I want to wipe it away. And if you're here today and, and God, is, God is working on your heart and, and, and he's saying, hey, there are things that you do need to repent of. But that's not something you need to run away from. That's something I want to help wipe away. Finally, I, I had to get close enough to my son to where I could actually wipe it. And he didn't necessarily like it that I held him and wiped it. He, he wiped, wiped his face all off and got the noodles all off, took care of the mess. And, and, and that's what repentance does. It, it's, it's, it's recognition of saying, God, I agree with you. I'm a mess. And Peter, he got half of repentance right. He recognized that he was a mess. But the other half is wrong. And that's what the enemy wants to keep us at. He wants to, he wants us to make, he, he wants us to think that God doesn't want anything to do with us. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. When we recognize sin in our life, the first thing we need to do is call our dad. Father, forgive me. First John says this. It's a book in the New Testament. It says, when we sin. And I used to think this is to sinners. Then I got, then I learned a little bit and realized that all these books in the New Testament were actually written to Christians. So when Paul, when John was writing this book to the church, he was telling Christians, he was saying, when you sin, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins. It's, It's saying, God, I messed up. Dad, I need your help. Father, I need you right now. And and Peter had half a repentance. He had the recognition. But if you recognize without giving it to God, you'll just feel condemned. What the Father does is we recognize, God, you're right and I'm wrong concerning this area of my life. That's repentance. I agree with you and I want to go a new direction. And the Father picks us up gets that wet wipe covered in Jesus' blood and he wipes us off. He gets rid of all that chocolate ice cream. He gets rid of all those noodles. He gets rid of all those things that we recognize like, hey, this is this is in violation to you, but you love me so much. And, and not once did I get on to my son. Not once did I spank him because he was a mess. I just wiped off his mess. And, and 
How did Jesus respond to Peter here? When, When Peter said, away from me, I'm such a sinner. His first thing he said was, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then he gave him an assignment. I will make you a fisher of men. Because we think, God, how can you use me? I have all this stuff. And God's like, that's why. That's why. You know how many people Peter could relate to? Peter could be like, no, dude, I get it. I get it. You don't even know me before. And But Jesus changed him, and he said, don't be afraid. Because Peter had to confront, though. He had to confront the things in his life so God can fix it. And and pride will say, well, there's nothing wrong with me. I don't need to repent of anything. Well, if that's the case, then God's going to have a hard time working on you. And you're probably going to be stuck in a habitual cycle of chasing what you want and never actually surrendering to God. Peter recognized what kept him from following. The first time he met Jesus, there was something that kept him from following. The second time he met Jesus, he surrendered it. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. And how how I want to respond today, how I want to respond today to this, this lesson that we need to learn, this lesson of stop chasing what we think we want and and start looking at what we really need. You, You need Jesus. I don't care if you already have Jesus. You need Jesus. You need more of him. And, and there are things in our life that we, we, we it's not just a once-in-a-lifetime confrontation. It's a continual surrender. This is not the first time or the last time Peter got confronted by the Holy Spirit. This was a confrontation through Jesus. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Then, then Peter, he, he kind of went off his rails with the Galatian church and the Colossian church and 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 Paul had to stand up and confront Peter in love to say you're not acting like Jesus and then Peter repented it's a it's not a one time thing repentance we walk in repentance repentance is agreeing with God God what you say is right and then I'm going to go in that direction I'm going to go in the direction that you said and and and, and what did Jesus what did Jesus say to Peter Peter said away from me. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. Follow me. And Peter said, yes. He went with Jesus. He agreed with Jesus. He went with Jesus. That's repentance. He walked in repentance by following Jesus. And so today, I want us to stand and we're going to take and and, and we're going to take communion together. And and I, I I want us to pray some stuff as we take communion. Because what we need is Jesus. Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. If, if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I, I, want you, I want you to hear this. God loves you. And it's as simple as Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Just like Peter, forgive me. I'm recognizing that I'm a sinner. I believe 
that you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose from the dead to set me free from sin. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin to a holy God so you don't have to pay it. That's what Jesus did for you. And I can't pray that prayer for you. I can lead you in a prayer, but if you don't mean it, it doesn't matter. You've got to decide in your heart, I want to follow Jesus. Just like Peter, he could have said, no, I want to be a fisherman. You just gave me a catch of a lifetime. But Peter decided when Jesus gave this invitation, follow me. He said, yes. And if you're far from Jesus, Jesus is giving that same invitation today. Follow me. It says Peter left everything. Everything. His old way of life, he left it to follow. That means if you're sleeping around outside of marriage, you leave it. It means if you're doing drugs, you leave it. It means if you're, if you're telling lies, you leave it. It means if you're coveting after your neighbor's stuff, you leave it. It's not just the things we can see. It's the things that God sees and no one knows about. You leave it. Peter left everything to follow Jesus. And so let's come get the elements. They're right up here at front. And we're going we're gonna to go through it. If we don't have close communion here, Anyone is welcome to take communion. This cup that you hold in your hand is proof that God loves you. He went to a cross for you. He took a beating for you. And, and this little piece of styrofoam bread represents God who stepped off a throne, bankrupt heaven, to step into humanity for 33 and a half years to fulfill God's purpose in buying our salvation, to paying a price to God. We had a debt to God that we can never repay. It was called sin. It would take eternity in hell to repay our debt to God. Because God is holy and just and we violated our relationship with him. But God loved us so much that he sent his son, his one and only son. He bankrupted heaven for the chance that we would choose to have a relationship with him. Think about that. It wasn't even a guarantee that each of us would choose him. It was a chance because he wants you to choose him. He wants you to operate in your free will but I think today is a moment. There are people here that need to give their life to Jesus. You, you know about Jesus, but knowing about Jesus is different than giving your life to Jesus. 
And 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 so right now with this with this in with this bread in hand, I, I just I want us to just thank the Lord that He lived a life that we can never live, a sinless life, and then He took a death that we deserved. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for stepping out of your throne. We thank you, Jesus, that you lowered yourself, becoming a slave, becoming a human, becoming subject to everything that we're subject to. And you did not consider equality with God something to grab hold of, but you lowered yourself. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for going to the beating post and taking a beating for our healing. If there are people suffering from physical ailments, I pray that you will heal them because of what you did on the, on, on, through, to your body for us. We thank you, Jesus, for stepping into humanity and experiencing everything that we experienced, being tempted in every way, that we have a high priest that knows what we've gone through. We have a high priest that knows what it means to be tempted. We, you know You know what it feels like to be oppressed. You know what it feels like to be attacked. You know. We thank you for stepping in. We thank you for your body that was beaten and nailed to my cross in my place. Let's just thank him. Let's just thank him. Let's take Romans 5 8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still sinners, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Come on. We are friends with God because of what Jesus did. Man, this is not a funeral. This is a celebration. Let's just thank God right now for his blood that restored a proper relationship. Lord, I thank you that we are friends with you through the blood of Jesus, that your blood wiped away all sin, that your blood wiped away every transgression and iniquity. Your blood set us free from the power of hell, death, and the grave. Your blood sets us free from what comes against us. Your blood breaks chains. Your blood breaks bondages. Your blood breaks oppression over our life. We thank you, Jesus, that we are restored, that we are friends with God, that we have a proper relationship with with him. Let's just thank him. Let's just thank him. Let's let's take the, the, the cup together.
So what I want to do is I'm going to pray over you. Pastor Ben's going to lead us in a song, and we're going to celebrate. Jesus, I pray for your church. I pray right now that you will reveal to us what we need and help us to quit pursuing what we want. Lord Jesus, help us to confront things in our life so that you can fix the things in our life. Help us to surrender and to come into agreement with you. And let's celebrate Jesus, church. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors, he parted the raging sea. My God, he holds the victory. Yeah. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place won't be quiet we shout out your praise we shout out your praise we sing to the God who heals we sing to the God who saves we sing to the God who always makes a way cause he hung upon that cross then he rose up from the grave my god still rolling stones away there's joy in the house of the lord there's joy in the house of the lord today and we won't be quiet we shout out your praise there's joy in the house of the lord our god is surely in this place and we won't be quiet Shout out your praise. We shout out your praise. We were the beggars, and now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, and now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. God, thank you so much for allowing us to approach you as sinners, even though we're not worthy to be in your presence, God. Thank you for allowing us to be in your presence. Thank you for wiping our sins away and giving it to us without even 
without us asking for it and knowing how to ask for it. You have given us every tool we need, and we want to thank you so much for it. Thank you for these lessons that you have taught your disciples that were recorded for all generations to see and for these stories to be passed down and for us to learn from and keep on learning. God, you are an amazing Father. And I pray for this church as we go forth out of these doors today that we all have a good day, that we have enjoy the day that you have prepared for us as it is beautiful, God. Thank you so much. Thank you for the lesson and the sermon that we heard today. Thank you for what it's doing in each and every one of us right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for everything, everything y'all done. And Ryan, great sermon. Awesome, man.